just how this affects myself or how we think it might affect ourselves, uh, then we're doing it wrong. We've got to go deeper. If we're worried about our traditions and our way of doing things. So these classes and sermons, they're not about an agenda. It's not about saying we're going to start doing all of this and this and this. That's really not what this book is about. It's not why I chose this book. This book is simply about this. It's about the truth of the gospel. It is about the gospel of Christ. It is about grace and it's about freedom. And it's about unity despite the fact that we are diverse. And we even have different thoughts and beliefs on various things. So I want to open up this morning by reading our text here in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Peter is writing, I mean Paul is writing, he says, But when Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he used to eat with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and he separated himself. Because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas, Peter, in front of everyone, If you, who are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews. In class this morning, we really began to, to study this topic. And we talked about these verses, and we talked about the shock of Peter and Paul and what is happening here in this text and how I just imagine people who are hearing it in these churches and, and who are reading it for the very first time didn't think, wow, I did not see that happen especially after what he talked about the Jerusalem Council the week before and how they're all united. They have extended this right hand of fellowship. And our first instinct, I believe, is that Paul's out of line. That Paul is a hothead. That he doesn't take him off to the side, as Jesus talked about doing when you have a struggle with someone. He doesn't even do what he says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, where he talks about restore someone in a spirit of gentleness. I think we would all say this wasn't a very uh, gentle time for Paul. But we also said we need to understand there's a lot more at stake than just two people who have a disagreement. This, folks, is about the truth of the gospel. Peter did not have a problem before this time in eating non-kosher foods with Jewish, with Gentile Christians. He still held to those dietary laws, and we talked about that, and we showed verses to that. But that fellowship, it trumped these dietary laws when it came down to being together. And you can imagine, we, we think the, our traditional things, the things that we hold very dear and we may have disagreements with in this auditorium, let me tell you something. 
It would have been a much more difficult situation if you had been raised a Jew your whole life and you read in the Holy Scriptures that this is the way we are to eat. And this is what is clean and unclean. And then suddenly, you're being told it's okay for the sake of fellowship, for the sake of unity, that you can eat non-kosher foods with these Gentiles. And you can reverse that and say Gentile Christians could also eat these kosher foods with them because that would be a sense of that of what is happening but it says Peter withdrew it says that he separated himself from the Jewish believers now if you go to any high school any elementary school any of these schools throughout our nation you're gonna see the same thing you're gonna see people sitting at different tables and it's not that, you know, everybody can't sit at the same table when you've got hundreds of kids and things of that sort. However, we do know that people separate by groups. And we see people, they separate by, by their race. We will see people, they will separate by uh, those who come from money and those who don't. You see those who are the athletes and then those who are mathletes, Right? And then, of course, you've got those who are just, you know, they're socially unacceptable for most people. And we don't like it, but we know that that's what's going to happen. And we can push it, and we can talk about it, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't, but we know that this is what's going to happen. But when it comes down to the church, within the body of Christ, all divisions have to come down. All of those stereotypes have to be dropped, and we have to be simply Christians. If you look at Galatians 3, verse 28, he said, There is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave or free. He says, We are all one. We're unified in Christ Jesus. And really what we have to do from this text is ask ourselves, How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Are there people in this room right now that you would not go and sit with? And not necessarily to a point of saying, well, it's not, it's not that I don't like them. And, and maybe you will put on that inner lawyer that we've talked about on Wednesday nights. And you'll try to defend yourself. But the fact of the matter is, deep down, and this is why you have to do this introspection throughout the week. Why you have to look at these questions and ask yourselves deep down hard questions. Are there people that maybe they come from a lower class of people? Maybe there's people that they're a little strange. Okay, let's just put it out there for you. They make us uncomfortable. Uh, they say things that make us uncomfortable. Their sense of humor is uncomfortable. I'm talking about people of different races. I'm talking about people who are older than you. I'm talking about people who are younger than you. I'm talking about people that are considered conservatives. And I'm talking about people that others consider liberals. If you see them at a table, do you look for another place? What Peter did here was wrong. It was wrong. This is not about a conflict between Peter and Paul. We talked about that. This is about the truth of the gospel. Peter did not have a problem eating with Messianic Jews 
or uh, Messianic Gentiles before this time, and all of a sudden, he's now pulling away. And he's doing it because there's some folks there that don't approve of it. And that really leads to another question, doesn't it? Do you ever think, well, what would someone think if they see me eating with this person? They think that I'm being led astray by them? Are they, are they thinking that, you know, maybe they're not the kind of people I thought they were? This text shows us that we can have a weak and fleshly side. And we need to get that from this text. Even a spiritual giant like Peter... Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And we need to feel guilt when we feel this way. We need to see its effects on the church. Barnabas, of all people, he is pulled into this thing. The Jewish Christians stop eating with the Gentile Christians at this particular point. You see, people see you by the tables that you sit. And it doesn't mean everyone's going to become your best friend. Didn't Jesus have an inner circle? He did. It's okay to have inner circles. But when we come together as a body of believers, then all the stereotypes and everything else has to come off. And we commune with others as a community of Christ. And look, I don't get into the idea that, well, we don't really have anything to talk about. And I think sometimes that's how we feel. Well, I just don't have anything in common with that person. I just don't. Listen, do you not understand this is what brought us together? What brought us together? You're not going to find anyone in here who is more different than you than a Gentile and a Jew was in the first century. I promise you. You're not going to find it. At least you can say with people, at least we like the same foods, you know? At least we'll eat the same kind of food. Listen, this was such a major thing. We all come to the table. We are grateful for the one who saved us from this present evil age. The gospel is what brought us together. We must come to the table in this way so that when you eat... Ask someone about their story. You know, I saw that this week with one of our elders, and he does this with someone. He said, just tell me your story. We don't, we don't do that enough. Talk about your story. Talk about what the Spirit is doing in your life, what you've seen this week. Listen, talk about these, these texts, you know, and the things that you're getting out of it. The things that you're hearing. And love on each other. And serve each other. And pray with one another. But you can't do that if you're sitting at different tables. And again, that doesn't mean everybody can pile into a booth over here. Although I did talk to Mike McGee, and we've got our group today, our care groups and, and those of you who are in our groups, when you go over there, I want you to set up one table right down the middle. Everybody stay out of the booths. One table right down the middle. That's not going to make us more doctrinally sound than anybody else, but you know what? 
Let's do it. Because we can't do it at different tables. If there is ever a time when the church should be leading the way, it is right now. It was mentioned uh, a moment ago about how divided we are in our nation. I think John Pickerel mentioned this, and we are so divided in our nation. And if there's one place that we need to be united, it's the church. The place that we see the greatest amount of division as Americans right now comes by way of politics. It just does. But the church should be a place that is above politics. It's about a different kind of kingdom is what I discover. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, as soon as I turn it on it helps. Or don't. Oh wait, I had it. Colossians 1 and verse 13, Paul writes again, he says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Well, does this mean then we shouldn't vote? No. We're still a part in this culture. We still, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, should try to make a positive influence in our lives, but we need to understand that people have differences of opinion when it comes to politics. And some people see their political party as one that they establish moral law. Others see theirs as about helping other people more. But here's, here's what I learned, is that it, I don't care what political party that you vote for, they are disappointing. They're human. They're going to disappoint you. And if you think your political party is flawless, you've got your head buried in the sand. So we do our civic duty, but we don't let it divide the kingdom of God. Our world needs to see believers who are united in something greater in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Despite our differences, we will sit at the same table of fellowship. But we, we look back now and we just kind of get a bigger picture. And we ask ourselves, how are we doing universally? And I'm not even talking about how we get along as far as other believers and other churches. I'm talking about within the churches of Christ. We're not doing so well. We're not doing a real good job in getting along with ourselves. And there's a lot of things that have changed. Listen, when I was growing up, and I was raised in the churches of Christ. When I was growing up, when you saw a sign that said Church of Christ, you knew exactly what was on the inside. You knew there was a cappella music. You knew they were singing from the songs of the church, right? The old songbook. Uh, they were probably using the quarterly Bible studies. So y'all remember the quarterly studies that were put out. Uh, men wore suits and ties. Women wore dresses. And that's not a condemnation. It's just simply an observation. And we have changed so much culturally over the last 20 years, faster than we've ever changed before. And we've already seen a lot of this change really since 
The 70s, you start seeing some changes, and it keeps growing. But I don't think we've ever seen anything like we have seen over the last 10 to, to 20 years. And we see that there are those who still hold on to the old pattern. And then there are those who are studying, and they're restudying, and they're uh, seeing uh, different uh, forms of worship practices and different ways of learning. We've adopted new terms, still kind of kept the conservative label, but now we have what's called the progressives, and I don't like titles. I don't like them at all. But I can tell you this, this divide has been widening yearly. In this month's Christian Chronicle, for those of you who get the Christian Chronicle, it, it, in there there's this great article about a very conservative conference. I went to it for years. I spoke at it for years. I still love a lot of the folks who still go to this, to this thing. And in there it talks about the wonderful racial diversity that they enjoy at this conference. I think that is awesome. And I think it's great that they talk about these various issues that are facing the church and try to get a biblical standpoint on those things. And I've been there, and, and I don't always agree with, uh, with the way some of them um, interpret Scripture there. But nonetheless, I think it's a good thing that they're, they're talking about these things. What bothered me was one of the founders, and who is a director of this, and let me say this, he is a very close, personal association with myself and my wife. I love him dearly. I respect him dearly. But I disagree with what he wrote or what he said. And he said PTP would probably be a totally different group than who would attend Pepperdine or an Abilene lectureship. It's more of a self-sorting situation where people at churches that are supportive of Pepperdine probably wouldn't be supportive of PTP and vice versa. There just wouldn't be much fellowship because there's no, there's, there's so, there's supposed to be, there's so much, dis, uh, there's no, not much, <laughs> not much agreement. And the problem that I have are the phrases self-sorting. It's good we got these because we can just self-sort. And I don't have a problem with saying, you know what, I, I have more of a conservative nature, and yeah, I do go to this thing. Or I have more of a, a progressive nature, and I do go to this thing. What I have a problem with is saying that these are self-sorting. I have a problem with saying there wouldn't be much fellowship because we wouldn't have much agreement. And because we don't always agree on everything, therefore we can't have fellowship. I've got a real problem with that, and I think Paul would have had a problem with that. This is why it is important to understand our heritage, really, in the American Restoration Movement. And this happened with several preachers. They were very frustrated with the competition uh, that was happening between Christians in this country. And one of those that came out of this was a Presbyterian preacher in Kentucky by the name of Barton W. Stone. And Stone is the one who called Christians to unite based on their commitment to Christ and not based on a creed or a set of rigid doctrines. In Pennsylvania, there was a father and son group. And let me say this, Barton W. Stone, you ought to read the Cane Ridge Revival. You, you would be shocked if you actually read it and saw what happened there and what the purpose was. Thomas and Alexander Campbell, father and son, they were Presbyterians. They were from Pennsylvania. And they also started at this unity movement. And they simply called themselves Disciples of Christ. They didn't want titles. They just said, look, we're just Disciples of Christ. 
The Stone and Campbell movement eventually united in the 1830s. And they asked all Christians of all different churches everywhere to join in. They didn't believe you had to agree on every doctrine or every practice. The thing was to hold them together by commitment of Jesus Christ and a gratefulness of a shared salvation. That was what it was all about. In Thomas Campbell's declaration and address, and those of you who have the ARC notebook and you got him in Bible class, there's a section in there on the declaration and address by Thomas Campbell, and it shocks a lot of people to see what he said, but basically he argues that a divided church is hardly a proclamation of the gospel. Campbell and Stone disagreed on a number of very sensitive issues. Stone's group practiced immersion, but they didn't make it a requirement for, for membership or to partake of the Lord's Supper. Campbell, on the other hand, he did not make immersion the requirement for being a Christian, but he did insist on it if you're going to be a member or if you're going to take the Lord's Supper. Stone believed that an ordained elder is the only one who is required or who has... Uh, it really should be able to preside over the Lord's Supper. Campbell believed that was elitism. They differed on their views of God, their view of Christ and Christ's saving work. These are big issues, really big issues. But they were committed to fulfilling the prayer of Jesus before his crucifixion that they all may be one, so that the world might believe. The group that became known as the Churches of Christ, they leaned on Campbell's views of things. Then churches started to fight. And they started to fight over what was the right worship, what is the right way of evangelism. Things got really heated in the mid-1800s. The Civil War wreaked havoc on our movement. It absolutely wreaked havoc on it, and especially what was happening in the churches in the North and the South after that particular fact. And we could go on and on, but what this movement was about is about restoration. It was about unity, despite the fact that we have differences. But it's, we are unified in the fact of Jesus Christ that we are committed to him, that he saves us, and we are grateful and we are humbled by those things. Since the late 19th century, Churches of Christ, they really began to split. And you find Disciples of Christ, and then independent Christian churches, and then non-institutional churches, and then one-cup churches, and then the international churches of Christ, and more. And none of them would associate with the other because they believed what they had was right, and they were the only ones who were right. Someone once said, when you're sure you're right, it's not easy to seek unity. The account of the Jews and Gentiles is this. Recognize your differences. And live with each other or it will result in division. 
And when we think we've got a lot of hot topics in the churches of Christ, there's not going to be as big of a hot topic as they were dealing with with these dietary laws. And to say that now a Messianic Jew can have a ham sandwich with a Messianic Gentile, that was scandalous. That went against everything they had been taught their whole lives. But he said that it trumps even the law that they so carefully had guarded and watched after all these times. So why don't we just keep everything the same? You know, why not just continue to do things the way we've always done them the last hundred years and if someone comes in and they want to be a part of this congregation or someone comes out of the community and we just say look this is this is this we've done this for a hundred years and we're just going to continue to do it a hundred years the problem is our culture has changed it's fine if one church wants to do that but it's also fine if a congregation says culturally there are differences what doesn't change is Jesus his death, his resurrection, that does not change. Yeah, well, doesn't the Bible say something about, you know, if someone um, is having a problem with it, that you shouldn't do it? Yeah, hey, Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13. He says, therefore, if any food causes you to fall, I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother to fall. But when you really do an investigation of this, you realize he's not talking about the strong. He's talking about those who were weak. And usually who, those who want to hold on the way things have always been because they've been a part of it for all their lives, they are the strong. They should be. Peter was the strong. But Paul said, Peter, you're wrong in trying to separate the church and fellowship of the church based upon these things. If we believe in the autonomy of the church, I don't really understand why we think that everybody's going to look exactly the same. Because there are those very differences in opinions. But here's the thing, and this is what Galatians teaches us. It's okay to disagree. It's okay. None of us will ever agree on everything. I believe it is good to have discussions about disagreements. I'm not saying we need to just, well, you know, if they think this way, I'm just not going to get into it. Listen, we need to do it in a spirit of, of, you know, respect for each other. But, you know, what you might find out is after you really discuss it, you may actually agree. Or what you might discover is I might not disagree, but I at least have a better idea as to why you think that way. And that's okay. That's okay. We can all agree on this, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I could go around this room right now of people who would be considered conservatives and people who would be considered progressives. And I could tell you, even those who are progressives, they're going to disagree on things. And people who are conservative, they're going to disagree on things. And they're certainly going to disagree with each other. But one of the beautiful things that I've found about this church is that it's always remained unified. Sure, you have people who come and they go and things of that sort. But you know what we don't see here in Vero Beach? We don't see another church of Christ right down the road. 
And I think that speaks volumes in the fact that we are uh, 70 years. We're now, this church has been here for 70 years. And we don't allow other people to come into this place and divide us either. We can sometimes agree to disagree. But I'll tell you this, if you disagree with me, I'm going to still love you. And if it's on something that I don't believe is, is really a biblical topic, I'll even fight for you, for you to have that freedom. Because I believe that's what we do. I believe that's who we are. So here's what I say. Remain humble and be patient with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember that none of us deserves salvation. Peter's action was a declaration that God's love and reaching out to these undeserving Gentiles that it was irrelevant. None of us can stand up and say that we are now perfect. None of us can say that we get it all right. None of us can say before we came to Christ that we had everything right. But here's what I tell you. Know your story better than you know the issues of the church. I think that's where we fail. We talk about issues more than we talk about the grace of Jesus Christ. And I think that is so important. Let us pray together. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for your blessings we thank you for this grace that you have given to us. We are so undeserving. And Father, may we continue to seek you in everything that we do, knowing that we're not going to get it right and knowing that at times we're going to learn some things that are going to help us to grow. But Father, we, we just come to you and we thank you and we're grateful for these things. And we're grateful for each other. I am so grateful for the people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ who are in this room right now. I don't care how much I may agree or how much I may disagree with them. And I hope they feel the same towards me. And I hope they feel the same towards each other. Because, Father, you've blessed us. And, Father, may we show the world that we truly are your disciples and that the world can come and they can believe too because they see this diversity that is made up in this room and yet we have this wonderful unity together. Father, help us. Give us your strength. We pray for your spirit of peace. And Father, we also pray for those who may be here today and they're, they're not your children and they're seeking, and they know who they are. And Father, we just pray for them. We pray for their hearts. We pray that, Father, they're ready to be a part of this wonderful family that you have brought us into, this community of people that's made up of so many differences. We thank you, you unite us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. If you're subject to the invitation in any way, I urge you to come now as together we stand and as we sing.